Episode 9 of the Permaculture Pimp Cast. Glad everybody's here. Everybody meaning me and you. So, son. Yeah. Hey, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. This is the only Permaculture Pimp Cast out there where we take a pragmatic approach to permaculture. And yes, as always, pimp means exactly what you think it does. Permaculture is my passion. You doing good, son? Yep. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it's been, been raining for the majority of the day. Yeah, don't get me started, man. The... Um, you know, what gets me is um, I'm sitting here looking on my phone at the weather forecast and I'm thinking, okay, I have got to make bone sauce. And the way we live out here, y'all, it's not like I have a covered place to do it. I've got to do it in the open air. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I got, you know, I can do this in between the raindrops. You know, they're giving me a window and it takes a long time to make this stuff. And you can't have rain, especially torrential rain coming down. Well, they were saying rain wasn't going to happen until 8 o'clock, and then here I am standing out there like I ain't got no sense with an umbrella over the fire and then an umbrella over me. Ain't neither one of them working because the rain's coming in sideways. Yeah, they don't ever know when it's going to rain here. It's guaranteed to be wrong every single time. The forecast, the 10-day forecast, there's a 60% chance of rain every single day. Yeah, so that just means you don't know. You're so guessing. Did, okay, so maybe we should have gotten the forecasting business. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it, it has to matter. But anyway, it is what it is. And and then also when you live in a mountainous environment like this, you have so many microclimates. And maybe we'll talk about that in the in the future as well. Yeah, that's a good radio or a podcast topic. Microclimates. See, but now things like that really apply. I mean, it applies everywhere, but you see drastic examples of microclimates where you can have literally snow. Um, I mean, deep snow, not even an eighth of a mile away and then nothing here. Yeah. In the winter, you'll see people driving down from Burnsville, which is higher in elevation than we are, but you'll see them driving down with like snow covered cars and it'll be sunny here. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but Hey, that's one of the beauties of living in the mountains, man. I love it. All right, y'all tip of the day. We're going to get right into it. But before we do that, our topic of the day, this is, there's going to be a lot kind of thrown in this and we're going to go on a little wild side near the end of it. Oh, wait, before we get into any of that, dad, there's a swale class this week, this weekend. Yes. At the end of this weekend. Yes, indeed. Hey y'all, it's getting close. So you want to get your tickets, go to it's, it's linked down below in the description of okay. the video. Yeah. All right. Well, that just made it a lot easier on me, folks. I don't know if we're ever going to have another one of these. I mean, really, how many times is somebody just going to let you dig their place up? I mean, they're take advantage of it if you can. <laughs> I mean, don't put yourself in a, you know, don't go selling all your stuff to get there. But, you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth coming to if you need or if you think you're going to need a swale in your property. All right. Um this, this program is going to be more about, uh, it's one of those things where a lot of people have hit me up about this and they bought land or they're buying, you know, land. It may be in a remote location. We're going to talk about how to lay that out. So we're, there's a lot of these questions I'm trying to bundle because I get so many of them. I try to bundle them and try to hit a number of answers at the same time. Once again, the beauty of a podcast is that we can go into great detail and then perhaps in a way or another supplement it with what we do on YouTube. So that's really the wonderful thing. I wish we'd have done this a while back, really, because it would answer a lot of questions that I don't have time. I can't possibly get through them all to the kind of detail that a person would need through an email. So I'm really thankful for this platform. So that's what the show is going to be all about. But tip of the day. All right. This is going to be one you probably never heard before, but given my background back in you know, I don't talk about a whole lot of what I did in the military, but especially not this day and age. Um, think about this. There's a lot of people I know that live rurally and they don't have fences around their property. And they're wondering how do they keep people from coming in? All right. I'm going to show you a simple thing and I'm going to use military doctrine to do it. Now, back when I was doing what I did, um, I was U.S. Army sapper. Okay. And to make anything impenetrable, I can never say that word. Okay, to make something... Impenetrable. Yeah, that word. In order to make that happen, you require three things. You have a barrier. You have... It has to be covered by a threat. 
and it also has to be overseen. You have to apply all three. That's why nothing gets across North Korea's borders, okay? When they say borders don't work, yes, they do. If they're done right, they got to employ all three of those. You can't have two. But there are times, like on your property, where you may be able to do that. Okay, so let's say you don't have the money to put woven wire all the way around your fence. Remember, the two-legged predators are the worst. And honestly, I mean, really, that fence is really, with our place, it's really meant to keep the dog in because he is going to be 10 times more effective than like the guy next door who has his dog roaming everywhere. Right. Right. It's going all over the place. Right. So imagine yourself being in an apartment building and you got to protect the whole thing. Okay. Now imagine yourself in one room in that apartment building and you've got to protect that room. That's exactly what it does with your guard dog or your livestock guardian dog. It keeps their attention in a very narrow band where it's most needed. So they're not off running after some coyotes or something. Okay. So regarding the two-legged predators, I kid you not, this works. Um, I'm going to spend a little time on this because it's important. A lot of people have asked about it. So what you do, you can go out there. You don't even have to electrify it. Go out there and get yourself some uh, poly tape or poly wire. Put it all the way around your property and put high voltage signs on it. You know how I know it works? Because it works in the military, okay? When we would go out and put in minefields, unlike now, remove everything you think you know about a minefield based on what you've seen on TV. That's not the way it works. When we put in a minefield, we want the enemy to know that it's there. It's not hidden. It's not unseen. That's not military doctrine. We want the enemy to see it because hopefully they have the good sense to not go through that minefield. We don't want them to breach the minefield. We want them to go around it. So when they go around it, they're funneled into a choke point and then, you know, it's curtains for the enemy. Well, you can do, you could take that same principle for your, your property. Okay. So you can take this, even if you don't have a way to charge it up, maybe you put several strands in there. Poly wire is pretty cheap. Get it all the way around there, put high voltage signs on it all the way around. And you'd be shocked at what that does for depending on the feral dog or depending on the feral person. Believe me, every human being fundamentally sees, even if it's a, a, a very flimsy barrier, they see it fundamentally as a barrier. It's hardwired into you. It's hardwired into everybody. So if you can't afford to go put up something a little more robust, believe it or not, the little stuff works. Army Doctrine 101, believe me, it does work. All right, what do you got to say about that, son? I don't have really have anything to say about that. Of I wasn't in the Army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So... No, son, I, I trained you as a soldier, but there's some things I did leave out. All right, so farm news, man. What's new? What's crack-a-lacking around here? Uh, we harvested a bunch of honey yesterday. I think we got like over six gallons, didn't we? Yeah, That was the first time we've tried filling up a five-gallon bucket with honey. I don't know why we haven't done that before because we've definitely harvested more than five gallons at once. Yeah, there's times we've gotten eight. In fact, the last harvest yeah. was about eight. And we were putting it in glass jars. I think the five-gallon bucket is by far eight. So like that's already what? That's two harvests so far this year, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, is definitely. it three? No, it's not three yet. It's two so far. Well, and then before it's all yeah. said and done, we'll get a third. They're, yeah, there's still comb and frames down there that they're working on. Wow. So, so it, there's going to definitely be at least another harvest. That's why permaculture is my passion, y'all. So, okay, honey, we got that uh, potato harvest. We just did a video on that if anybody cares to see it. Not very good. That's what happens when you buy that yeah. jacked up soil. And those purple potatoes don't, they don't have very high yields. Well, even the other ones that weren't pur- purple, they didn't do well. And I know it's because of that messed up soil, but hey, we're going to show you how to re- remediate that. We might even talk about it in the future. So got that going. Um, we, we got rid of one of the uh, Bielfelder roosters. You dropped it off today. Where'd you take right. it? Right. I took it out to Nate Kramer's new property, uh, the Kramer Life on YouTube. I took it out to their property. Um, we did a little tour video showing you what, you know, the updates on his property and all that. He's got pigs, sheep, chickens. Um, he's got some gardens going. Uh, he, and guess what? He bought some soil and he just realized when I was there that he did have germination rate issues wow. with the seeds. See, it could also be the seeds too, man. Some well, these are... were old seeds. He oh, said these right? seeds were like four years old. So it was before they started, uh, uh irradiating stuff in the mail. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm not sure that's the case, but that's what I've been told. So I'm glad you got to go out there. I'm sorry I couldn't go, Nate, if you're listening. Um, once again, we got that swale class that was on my list. And then, man, I was up until, oh, dark 30 trying to can those tomatoes. I make sauce out of it, all those yeah. tomatoes we pulled up out of there. 
Um, that was, it's amazing because anybody that says, oh, that bag soil is fine. Well, everywhere we didn't put it, we're getting a bumper crop of everything out of it. But I right. don't think we filmed any of that. No, I don't think we filmed any of the tomato stuff. No. So we got tons of tomatoes. I was up till, I mean, at least midnight, I think. Which is why he's been cranky all day. No. Yeah, I mean, he's been mom. around me all day. You Ask a, mom. No, I haven't been cranky. Your mom's just upset just because I'm right. <laughs> Point proven. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. Um, all right. Well, we usually have a news section, but like I said, we always try to keep that. We always try to keep the news in line with what would mean something to a, a person in the preparedness or permaculture and all of it, you know, in my view, should kind of overlay with one another. Um, so what, did the, what do we have a new definition for? A recession. We have a new definition for a recession. Now, no doubt everybody knows about that. But the reason I'm pointing it out to you is, um, look, if they're going to redefine that term, and it's been there for time and memoriam, what won't they redefine? Well, they redefined a few things this past couple of years uh gender yeah see um, no, oh yeah everybody has to be a pronoun vaccine you know oh. forget you know what the next time somebody hits me up about this stupid pronoun thing i'm gonna tell them look uh, uh pronoun is so 2020 man i'm an adverb i want to be called an adverb you know what i want to be called no you better be called a verb which means running you better be running the next time you bring up some nonsense about some about some stupid Oh pronoun. my goodness. Some pronoun, man. You Don't got... act like you couldn't tell when you saw me. Don't act like you couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm an adverb. Ten yeah. years ago, you would have been fighting if yeah. you asked somebody's pronouns. <laughs> Ten yeah. years ago, it would have been disrespectful. <laughs> I identify as a verb, man. That's how it's going down. So, I mean, I, you know what? We have, this is a first world problem. You know what? People in Ethiopia aren't worried about such things. And sadly, you know, the way things are unfolding, you know, that's what this podcast is about. That's what other podcasts are about, like the survival podcast where, and I love his motto, man. It's a way to live if times get tougher, even if they don't, you know, the one of my heroes. National Geographic on Instagram, they keep po putting up posts like transgender during that whole month that they had, that pride month they had, they kept posting pictures of like transgender people in third world countries. They found the only transgender people in some of these third world countries. Or probably planted them in there. What was it, the village idiot? I mean, I, is that, I don't know. I, I don't know. Of all the things we have to worry about, the things of real consequence, we're worried about some nonsense like that. Well, anyway, the reason I'm saying all that, folks, the, I didn't mean to spend so much time on that, but the big reason I even brought it up is if you weren't aware, if you weren't aware of the shaky ground we're on, when they can sit here, just like Orwell, I mean, this is straight out of George Orwell's 1984, where you redefine these terms. Well, what kind of world were they living in in 1984? Got to ask yourself that. And then ask you, why would they do the same thing now? There must be some overlay. Well, okay, I don't want to get too deep into the esoteric yet. Uh, we'll, we'll cover the on end that. end of the show. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that near the end. Um, okay, here's some other news. Now, when I say news, folks... It doesn't mean something that I cut and paste. Now, let me just give you a little, I'm going to give you some insider baseball when it comes to uh, talk radio. Back when I was a talk radio host and I'd be in there with the other talk radio hosts and it, and it was the biggest station in Kansas city. And it still is. Um, here's how they show prep. They would listen to whatever Rush Limbaugh said. Okay. And they'd listen to it passively while they're in there drinking beer. And then they'd go to Politico, they'd go to Drudge, and they'd find whatever was hot, and then they'd go with it. No show prep, no nothing. Well, guess what? We don't do that. Some of this news is going to come from unorthodox sources, meaning people like you that are listening right now that give me information. Like my buddy Joe, um, they, have a, they have a really good YouTube channel, and I think we talked about him before in this. It's called, it's called Ladies Farm. Yeah, we did an interview with him. Um Right when uh, Jason from Sutherland moved. That's when the interview came out. Right. That's his cousin. And um, he sent me this text the other day. And this isn't a guy easily given to hyperbole. He's very solid, very, very sharp guy. Him and his wife both. And, I mean, just fantastic, wonderful people giving me some great, great tips about a great many things. Well, he wrote this. And I'm just going to kind of give you the cliff notes. He says, be careful of the pig, pig feed, bro. Uh, we buy our pig feed in bulk. The last batch was a uh, different blend. Uh, we said something once, I'm sorry, this thing's a little bit off, it's tough to read. 
with my eyes. He said, um, he said something like when they got home, they found out that it didn't look the same as the stuff they bought last year. Well, they contacted the retailer and they said, just send it back. And then they told the retailer told them they had issues with the hog feed, killing hogs. Dig this. They had the a manufacturer. Bad, yes, they yeah, the had manufacturer did this. The manufacturer did it full and dig this. They told him, yeah, they knew they had a bad batch and it was killing hogs. And then, you know, Joe writes, wow, they never even recalled it. Just let it go out. You know, no big deal. Well, anyway, they got this stuff home. It was sketchy. And now they're in a bind. And it just breaks my heart because if they're in a bind, I'm sure a great many others are also. Especially if you're buying it in bulk. It's not like you just went to the store and bought a single bag and you can just go back to a different store and buy a different bag. They bought like a pallet of feed. And also the people buying pallets of feed probably the type the type of feed that they were buying organic because they actually care about yeah. the quality that had to have been targeted i mean you know exactly who is purchasing that type of feed it's going to be the homesteader who cares about quality he's producing food for himself and his family that's that's what's going on so you're not buying this as a coincidence huh? no no because <laughs> I'm not no because there would have been a recall because massive uh CAFO operations would have been shut down because pigs Absolutely. were being poisoned any other time large amounts of animals die it gets reported even if it's ten thousand cattle in kansas that die for no reason right well, every single time it gets reported oh there was a reason there well, was a reason yeah 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 but you know i mean that's the cool thing about doing this podcast also is that we can go in deep and even kind of render some of the thoughts that we may think what might be going on and just like i'm not going to believe that all these places burning down is some giant accident in quotations i'm not believing this is an accident like you said it's and if you are having to go without feed for a while because nate nate and i were just talking about it this morning um and it really depends on what kind of breed of pig you have but if you're having to go without feed for a while the best thing you can do is put them in heavily dense like forage dense uh paddocks and move them frequently well, also, this is, I was talking to Ben Holler today from the Ben, uh, from the Holler Homestead. And, um, he and I were both discussing like these guinea hogs. He just had a litter of, you know, I kind of told him, Hey man, we'll, we'll take some off your hands because in these times where it might be touch and go as to whether or not you can feed these animals, a guinea hog would not, if you wanted to keep a hog and you needed very, very little to keep it going. Now it's, it's a little squirrely on some of these hogs because, you're going to have to run them out for probably 18 months. Now, we've butchered them much earlier than that when it comes yeah. to guinea hogs. But yeah, we've gone at 12 months, I think. Before. Yeah, we've done it at 12. We've even done it. That one we did for that church, was uh, it was nine months. So, you know, at least a good thing about a pig like that is that you're going to produce a lot of fat, the best tasting pork I've ever had in my life. And in addition to all that, it really doesn't take a whole lot to feed those guys. In fact, Ben was saying on his even with just with a tree mast in the forest, you can almost overfeed them. So yeah, you really don't have to feed American guinea hogs um, unless you're trying to put back that fat. Um, also, yeah, I mean it depends on the breeds, and then also if you're running some of these larger pigs through the forest, it's important that you have them going through the forest, especially if you don't have feed because of the forage density and the nutrient density there. Right. Uh, Joe also pointed out he's like you know he was kind of conveying in there also hey man i know you don't feed your pigs this way i just thought you might want to know about it no we don't i mean we we feed ours from basically food scraps and you know as clean of food scraps you could ever in fact there are people that don't eat as good as our pigs and chickens I, right i guarantee yeah. it that's how that's how high quality this stuff is well y'all when we get back we're going to get into the main topic Marketing is what they tell you to do and what you're willing to give. Larping to the fullest extent. I don't wait, I shoot first like Han on a rodeo. And these people don't understand me like reading a Nokian. Stretch thin, like pulling an accordion. My heart ain't primordial. All these historians telling us lies. The genocide, everything is medicalized. Politicians selling the ride. I better die where the relevance lies. All right, coming back again, y'all. Um, okay, we're going to lay into the main topic. And believe it or not, it's going to overlay with some of the Q&A that we got. Um, this was not at all the topic I wanted to talk about initially, but because I was hit, I was going to cover it, but it, it just basically got moved up in the ranks. Um, and we'll cover that more in the Q and a, but we're going to talk about when you buy a new piece of property and it's not as if we don't understand exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, we've done it more than once, more than twice, more than three times the property. 
I didn't get that reference. No, you don't. So there's a lot of people out there that get it. I guarantee it. (laughs) Some different generations here. Some of you guys haven't noticed. Yeah, you can hear that hip hop coming on the other end. That's his, and then you hear some of mine. I had to balance it out. So, okay, so okay, you got a property, and there was a a wonderful lady, Leanne, that wrote an email that kind of um, I told her we'd cover this in greater detail. And we'll get to her question more in Q&A, but some of this is going to overlay with it. All right, so you're trying to find a piece of property. Now, I talked before about going to Craigslist, okay? And you want to go back and check that out. In fact, if anybody wants to hear more about it, email me, and I'll go into much greater detail because I can. I can do that in this form, on this platform anyway. Um, okay, so you're going to buy a new property. One other way I was telling you that we've acquired property that I didn't really spend much time thinking about was through tax liens back in Oklahoma. And here's, in a nutshell, I'm just going to give you the cliff notes on it, then we're going to get into the really the nuts and bolts of the main topic. The reason I'm talking about this is because I left it out the last time uh, with the expectation that I was going to lay into it a little bit more. Okay, so, so so-and-so isn't paying their taxes, right? And it all depends on whether or not you live in a tax lien state or a tax deed state. In a tax lien state, like Oklahoma, where I used to live, Um, You can literally go to the courthouse and if somebody hasn't paid their taxes, you can, they have three massive books, massive books with all the people that haven't paid their taxes. So you can go about this one or two ways back in the day. And I'm sure it's still the same. I could literally go in there and pay their taxes in the rear. And usually it wasn't that much. Like maybe at, I mean, it could have been a couple of hundred bucks. In some cases it was like 1500 bucks. Okay. So then what happens is you send out a certified mailing and you have to put it in the newspaper after a specified period of time. I want to say it was 30 days, okay? So you have to go three different ways in which you make it known that, hey, you bought this. They get a certified mailing. Uh, I think they had to have it delivered. And then it also had to be in a publication. Okay, after a period of time, it then becomes yours. But it doesn't mean that there aren't other liens on that property. Look, I can go real deep into this, but here's the, nut and, here's the nuts and bolts of it. You can go in there, spend the money, And let's say worst case scenario is the owner, and believe it or not, nine times out of ten, the owner is either dead or they're out of state. You'd be shocked at how many times that happens. So one of two things are going to happen. They're going to buy that lien back from you for, let's say, it's a 1000 bucks, and then then you get 25% on your money, believe it or not. That's what it was back in the day. Now, it used to be you got all 25%, but no... Well, Uncle Sam saw a reason to stick their hand in even more. So then they took like 15 of it, or no, it was, no, I think it was 9% actually. And then you got the rest. So it was a no-lose situation when it came to a tax lien. Either they got it back, or you could even go through and get into more, uh, you could do like things like quick claim deeds and stuff like that. But the point being is that you can buy property on the cheap. Is it always going to be nice? No. Nine times out of 10, every single property we've ever bought. Son, did we ever buy one that wasn't jacked up? Nope. They've all been jacked up. Yeah. (laughs) Jacked up from the feet up. And that's why we bought it because we turn it around and do something worthwhile with it, whether it was bare land or straight up house. So that's that's one of the other many ways you can do it. So go through Craigslist. Like I talked about before, you can go through... And look in the tax liens. Like I said, it's it's deeper than that. Okay, so you've got the land. Okay, what's the first thing you want to do? Remember, y'all, we're hitting all this from a permaculture slant. What would be the first thing you do, son? You purchase the land. And let's say you got it like I do, like we did from Craigslist uh, numerous times. And let's say, okay, we gave him 500 bucks down, 500 a month. You missed three consecutive payments. You're out on the street, and they keep all the, uh, they keep all the improvements that you made to it. So you got this property. And let's say it's in a place where you don't have to worry about, uh, like where we lived in, well, just about everywhere, where you didn't have to worry about any county codes or anything like that. Right. So what's the first thing you would do if it was just a bare piece of ground? First thing I would do is get access and establish a presence there. If you're planning on living there. The first thing, if it's just rare, like raw, bare ground, the first thing I would do is get a driveway in there and establish some sort of presence, whether it be like a trailer or an RV or the house you're wanting to live in. Right. Or you could leave, you could even take an abandoned car and put it up in there and then just go and move it around a couple of times a week, depending obviously on where you live, but you do want to establish a presence there. That's a very good point. Um, Um, the second thing I would, I would do is once your, your presence is established, then figure out the water. 
figure out if you need ponds because that can help establish the access. Uh, figure out if you need swales because that can determine where you don't want to put access. Um, bunch of stuff like that. Or it could also be something like, let's say it's a, you're going to do like we did one time and put a conics out there. You drop a conics yeah. out there and, okay, so now that just became a calling card to any would-be thief out there if you don't have a presence. So go back to what I said in the very beginning of this podcast. Like I said, it all kind of weaves together like a tapestry. So even if you can't afford, a lot of us have more time than money. So even if you can't afford to put a real presence there, put up anything that creates something of a barrier. If you can, make it hot. Put it all or the way around that place. If you can, if the only thing you can do is put up fence, do that for now. If you're only there for like a week at a time visiting, you're at a different location or a different state, just put up some fence and a gate or just put up a gate. Or you could do just what we did where we started putting, we just put the fence on three sides. Yeah. Just, and it yeah. didn't even go to the back. I mean, it was like half of the sides on the side. Yeah. So it, it at least created the illusion that there was a presence there. Okay. So we had a connex there. So you want to do that. And now they make those LED lights where it would be helpful if you could put one of them out there when you're not there, you know, it has a photo cell on it and it comes on. Okay. Like a street light. Yeah. Yeah. They make them and they're, they're really not all that inexpensive. In fact, somebody sent me one and I guess they're going to want a review on that, but guess what? They, they're not going to get it. That's another story altogether. <laughs> the, well, it was a sleazy way they did business, you know, uh, wanting to tell me, Hey, you got to fill this out and fill that out. But I digress. Okay. So water, um, when we went up to that one property up in Kansas, um, we teamed up Darren from Hacks for the Homesteader. Absolute genius when it comes to so many things. We got up there, and it was touch and go about the water. There was a well, and if I'm not mistaken, it was about 30 feet deep. I remember I took a plumb bob, stuck it down there, figured out where, you know, hit bottom. And, of course, all that water there is mixed up with all kinds of who knows, because you're in farm country, Kansas right. farm country back up there. And it was really on the Nebraska border. So... You know, your water down there, Darren figured out how to way to get that pump rocking, hopping and popping. And so we got that off and running when it came. And there was nothing on that property, but abs mountains and of mountains of trash. trash and more sheds than I've ever seen. I never seen nothing like it in my All life filled with trash, like specific trash. Yeah. Like 10,000 like colanders, <laughs> plastic colanders. Will you try to pick them up and they would just like disintegrate right in your hands? It yeah. was a, like the dollar store colanders. Yeah, man. I've never seen anything like it. So we got that water going. But here's another thing that's kind of contentious when it comes to power, because I've seen it a number of times. Um, we have friends that chose not to get commercial power. Right. And um, On raw land. Yeah, on raw land. But they're making it work. Yeah, yeah. They're making it work. But I would agree with Jeff Lawton. Like, use commercial power to build your homestead. To do your heavy lifting. Yeah, to while you can. The only reason Earthship and them they don't don't use commercial power uh, to build the Earthships is because they literally can't get commercial power run out to where they are. They're so remote that they can't get, you know, commercial power. So they have to rely on solar power. I understand their reasoning for doing it, but also at the same time, if you're trying to build a bigger uh, homestead, now does the cost and for them, there's a significant cost, as I remember, to be able to get that. Yeah. Now, when you look at when you look at things like um, people that do, like there's a guy I know in Texas who had the opportunity, completely could have gotten power there, but was bullheaded about it and decided I'm just going to do it all on solar. Well, you know, it's like doing a you have an opportunity to speed up your progress to get moving on that thing. If you want to move over to solar, that's fine. Look. I am a journeyman electrician and I know, I know the benefits of being able to have that ever. It's, it's like saying, Hey, I'm gonna use a horse and buggy because I don't want to use a car right. or a truck. You know, that's kind of what it's, what it's doing there. So there's, I guess there's a zero sum game to all this stuff, but if you can, if you have the opportunity, remember your, your power is time and time is money at the end of the day. So if you got to go and spend a few bucks, and I'm not even sure, every municipality is different, but if you can possibly have them put you some temporary power out there, believe me, you're going to, wow, it's just going to speed everything up. All right, son, you talked about access. We talked about water. Um, then I would say utilities after that. 
Well, it depends on your utilities, okay? Um, now, we had rural water, which was awful in that one place we had in Texas. Right, yeah. It you, was filled with who even knows what. You could smell the chlorine. You'd take yeah, a shower you in really there. Could. It'd make the whole house <laughs> smell absolutely like chlorine. So when we were going to build the earth ship over in there, we were going to collect all of our water because we, we yep. clearly had sufficient water to be able to do such things. Yeah, 36 inches annually of rain in that area of Texas. Right, So, and you get it all at once. Sadly. Well, yeah, you get it. I mean, so does New Mexico, though. So does uh, Taos, New Mexico. They get seven inches of rain, maybe, per year. And they collect enough off their rain or off their roofs to to supply them for the year. So if you're coming out there, okay, if you're going to have... We can't cover every single scenario, but even if you're going to... You're going to go out there and you're going to live it out in a, in a yurt. You better be thinking about your water. And if you have any option at all for getting power, please do. But don't right. forget that security, man. And the reason I'm saying this, remember that other piece of property we, we bought in another part of Kansas? We dropped compost out there, and these fools were stealing compost. Remember that? Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, you were, and you got out there. You said you felt some real creepy feeling when you dropped it off. I had you drop off more compost. Um, back in those days, we were buying that stuff from the... Um, from oh, the, yeah, from that municipal area right. in Lawrence. That's right. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I had you drive out there. I forgot about that property. Right. Yeah, you had whatever happened to that property? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to that? Yeah, one? basically sold it. Um, what happened with that property was that here's what happened, and this is something else to consider, folks. You, this is this is important. This is a cautionary tale, and the reason I think you don't remember it as much is you were just fresh. No, you were still I was in, in high, high school. school, I think. Yeah, yeah, when yeah we I was bought still that, in high school. Yeah, there was another ten acres that I I got out there did on a handshake deal, and I mean I was buying up land left and right doing this. And I got out there. There was this old boy that came up. Now, this is something to consider also. And I'm not saying this without a great deal of experience. I pull up out there. I look at the land. It looked great. That parcel, I think, was 10 acres at the time. And we had we had, had a number of others, too. So I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do with this? We get out there. It was a beautiful spot. But here's what I didn't know. Until I'd already made the deal, went out there. And come to find out, this old boy comes walking up to me, and he says, "Hey, how you doing?" He wasn't very—you could tell from his countenance right off that he wasn't—he wasn't cool with my presence, and I didn't know the reasons why. And I'm like, "Hey, how you doing?" He didn't even stick his hand out to shake. And then I'm like, "Okay, so now you're on my bad side. I guess I was already on his." The guy comes up, and he says, "Well, you know whose land this was?" I said, "No, it was my grandpappy's." I'm like. Okay, so what do I do with that? Well, what the blank that got to do with me? <laughs> no, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so, so uh, what do you? T- I'm just kind of giving him a thousand yard stare because I'm like, okay, it was your grandpappy. I remember that's what he said. It was my grandpappy's. I'm like, okay. I said, well, um, I was like, there's no structures out here. I'm like, I. What was he living in? I mean, because there was nothing. It was just bare land. Yeah. And the guy comes up and he goes back. He's walking off to his truck. He just pulled right up there on the ground. He's walking back to his truck. Yeah, they stole it from him and then cut it all up into uh, 10 acre pieces. And I'm like, what? So I'm looking around me. And what I didn't realize <laughs> is that there were 10, there was, there was 100 acres. And they divvied it down into 10 acre plots. And he had one of them apparently... I come to find out later there was a guy I worked with. I mean, a small world named Bob. He since passed away. Bob told me, yeah, he knew this guy. Uh, somehow or another went into probate. I don't know what happened. Brothers and sisters got together. They cut up this land. And now this guy is ticked. And I was, I did notice that the other 10 acre plots around there, they were all empty. Nobody was on them. Nobody, somebody had put in the driveway down these things, but nobody had been on them. Okay, so I'm thinking, all right, well, we're not ready to do anything else but plant out here, so we're going to go ahead. Back in those days, we weren't making compost. So yeah, you could get compost by the truck bed full for like 10 I w- bucks, I think. I wouldn't get it now. No. No, that stuff in, no, that stuff in Lawrence, I mean, they were such lunatics. Lawrence actually cared. Yeah. They, they were the original hippies, I think, in Lawrence. Yeah. When I was growing up there as a kid, it was like... um. It wasn't like the the hippies you have now. Back then, it was like they like the iconic hippie. It was like they just if you didn't hurt anybody, they didn't care what you were doing. Yeah, that's what a hippie used to be. But now, um, 
you know, we were getting our compost out from that municipality out there. Mike Adams, if you haven't checked it out, folks, he's got a documentary called Biosludged, and that's where we were buying this stuff. But actually, I don't think they were doing that in Lawrence. And in fact, in that documentary, if I'm not, it's been a while since I've seen it, but if I'm not mistaken, I think they give you like grid coordinates, essentially, where you can find these places. Well, we were buying this stuff, and it was good stuff. Things grew very well in it. Yeah, I think it was mostly yard litter and leaves I was filling in up Lawrence. That, I was filling up that, yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I was filling up that dump trailer for maybe 10 bucks, and we're talking five cubic yards, and we'd get out there, we're dumping it. I think we must have made five, six trips. You went out there and said, Dad, I had a real... A uh, weird feeling like somebody was watching me out there. Now, folks, what you don't know about him and what he's never told you about is William. I, I don't know if it's a spiritual gift. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but when somebody is not right, he has this special spidey sense. And um, I don't know. You could even call it the Holy spirit. I don't know. But when he, he's always had that ability to be able to kind of see through and know when people were really, really awful. And he came back and he told us, man, there was something really not right about, going on out there. It was like he was creeped out and had really no honest way to convey it. So anyway, come back a week later. It's one of those kind of properties where you're not going out there every single day. I go out next weekend. They stole all, there probably was. Do we have IBC totes out there too? Yeah. IBC, they stole the IBC totes and the compost. Dude, you would have never known. It was like an alien abduction happened with that compost. <laughs> they didn't leave. Now, I'm like, dude, it doesn't even look like it was ever here. They blew down the grass after. Dude, they, they went through with like one of those. I don't know what it was, dude. I'm looking around and there was nothing. So the moral to the story being that when you buy a piece of land, make absolutely. And I'm, I'm not the first one that happened to. I know of other people that yeah. the very same thing has happened to. Darren, like, too. Darren yeah. and Patty, it's happened to them as yep. well. They got yeah. robbed. Yep. There was some uh, crazy Native American lady up there. and That woman was crazy as a three-headed cat. The, now, the way the property line worked on that one, folks, this is another cautionary tale. I'm spending time on this because it's important. The property line, we had it, we had it laid out. It literally ran through the barn, <laughs> the property line. I kid you not. Remember that big red barn yeah, out there? Yeah, we shared it. This property line literally went right through the middle of the barn. When I had this thing surveyed, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And so the barn added to the 13 other structures on that property. Yeah. But that was the best structure out there. If I Plus recall, the headstone. yeah, it was, it was the best structure out and we only got half of it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I should have did my due diligence on this one, but it was so cheap and it was so remote and it still is uh, Darren and Patty still live there. Um, it was so remote. Um, it was worth it. Um, so anyway, we had already moved away from there and then moved to Texas at that point. Uh, one of our great mistakes, but also turned out to be a, a blessing in disguise. You never, you know, Joseph wasn't looking at it as a blessing when he got sold into Egypt. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it turned out to be a, turned out to be a blessing in disguise in the long run, but that's another story altogether. But the point being is that if you do your due diligence on this stuff, when you buy this land, make absolutely positively sure that you're not going to have some crazy lunatic coming out there saying it's my grandpappy's land. Right. What so you, the the order of, you know, operations would be access, establish a presence, figure out your water and utilities, and then security. Right. That's security. Um, and then we're going to get into as far as. And then your, you know, food systems and stuff like that. Right. If you're not, if you're not presently living on that property or if you're not going to have a full-time presence out there, then there's some things I think you do and don't want to do. And then we're going to get more into Leanne's question regarding that. So when it gets down to brass tacks, folks, just kind of, we're going to give you the cliff notes here and we're going to also offer some of the colossal mistakes we made um, when doing this. So we'll cover more and more of that in the future. When we come back, it's Q and a. that's right that's what warriors do y'all so um 
All right, we're going to get into this Q&A thing. And, um, man, we get a lot of stuff. Hey, y'all, I know there's a lot of submissions out there. And where some of yours overlay with another one, we're going to kind of bundle it together, okay? Try to knock out more birds with one stone and hopefully get to all of it. So, like I said, you got your questions, you know, keep them coming. Uh, First of all, um, there were some people that kind of reached out in that last YouTube video that I, um, let me just kind of cover this one right off. Some people were not happy with... uh, what Bobby said, he, he used a phrase, he used a, um, okay. I'm generally not at all bothered by profanity. I don't use it. Not anymore, but, uh, there's certain, there's one word I don't say, and I never, t- I mean, I, I, I won't tolerate essentially. And that's taking my Lord and savior's name in vain. And, um, he said that and some people lost their minds over it. Well, Bobby apologized and, People are, you know, telling me you cannot have him on. Look, I got news for you, Jack. If you tell me we can't have somebody on the channel, you just guaranteed that person is going to be. That's on right. The he's going to be a he's going to be a co-host. <laughs> you start saying that kind of stuff, so it's not. Look, I mean, everybody, every everybody's at different places in their journey. Okay, the man went from being an atheist, and he's finding his way the way he knows how to find it. And I pray that, you know, it leads him straight to my Lord and Savior. But, you know, when people speak a certain way, you know, you praise in public, you scold in private. And it wasn't a scolding or anything, but we had a conversation about it. And he was he was apologetic about it. So, you know, he understands that when you speak extemporaneously, okay, and when you live by your wits, when you speak, there are times it comes out of your mouth not the way you intended. And sometimes when you get emotional about a topic, it may come out even though you may know that the other person may not be digging it. So I'm not going to yeah, spend a whole I mean, lot of time Especially on when it comes to an emotional topic, like I'm sure you guys were talking about. Um, I mean, you, sometimes you get to the point where you don't care the, the reaction of someone else, you know, anybody else in the conversation, just because it is an emotional con- uh, topic. Well, and then honestly, when it comes to a lot of profanity, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to use it for a whole variety of reasons. Um, but in terms of... I'll put it this way. The only reason anything is considered profane is because some smug British aristocrats said said that it was. So if people, if that's their full range of expression, then that's up to them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stifle anybody's speech. Just like I don't take anybody's comments down off of YouTube. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, 20 years from now, there's going to be new profane words. Like right now calling someone a man is profane. Wow. That's, that's yeah. But you know, there's certain lines that we know we don't cross, but anyway, with that covered, we're going to move on. Okay, we covered Joe's response uh, or his text that he sent to me, and I consider that legit news. I really do. Well, I was thinking about that. I wonder if they put rat pellets in the uh, in the feed because I mean it's the same same shape. Unless you're looking closely, you're not going to probably distinguish green from brown, which pig feed usually looks like, and it looks like those pellets that are already in it. I wonder if they just straight up put rat poison in there. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. It, it wouldn't shock me, man. These are some diabolical SOBs we're dealing with. All right, we're going to get into, um, right off the bat, Leanne's question. It's it's lengthy here, so I'm going to kind of condense it. Um, she's basically saying that, um, number one, it was very kind. Uh, you know, she's very kind to us. Um, she's Okay, the question she's asking, how feasible would it be to start a food forest a thousand miles away from my current location? Now for OPSEC reasons, I'm not going to say exactly where she's at. Um, and then she says a related question, how much time does it take uh, to start up a food forest? Okay. Currently she's living in New Mexico and the area she's looking at is in South Dakota. And we're talking like, if I'm reading this right, yeah, it's basically 18 hour drive, two and a half hours away from an airport. Wonderful place. Sounds like to me, uh, my kind of place. I love living (laughs) in those places. Um, but she says we don't plan to move there for at least another six years. Uh, they got three kids that want to graduate from school and apparently the school's all right now. Um, okay. There's a lot of, um, details in here. We don't have to get into. And then also in South Dakota, one important detail is, are you in the arid area or are you in the more temperate area? That that's going to make a big difference as well as far as the the design on these trees. Well, given what we just talked about before, um, well, she also has a bunk sauce question out here too. So don't let me get past okay. it without uh, bringing that up too, because it's kind of relevant. Um, 
Okay, thousand miles away. Would you buy this property? And I'm guessing it's bare land, from what I can tell. I think they already bought it. Okay, well, that being the case, that's kind of tricky. Okay, so you're probably going to have less concern when it comes to um, because you're so far out. Nobody's going to go out of their way just to hit that place. But here's the problem: if you're putting in food systems, and she's asking specifically about a food forest, it can be done. I'm I'm sure it can be done. Well, I mean, okay. So in the email, it said six years. They don't plan on moving there for another six years, right? So let's say this year, this fall or winter, uh, one of the two, you go in and you have an area picked out for your food forest. You have it designed out. You have it, uh, like all the trees are picked out, all the placement for the trees, the number of trees and all that stuff is picked out. If all that is done, Go in this year, this fall or winter, and plant your nitrogen fixers, your uh, pioneer species and stuff like that, and plant them in the appropriate locations. And then uh, you want to mulch them heavily, put out a thick layer of cardboard, put out a thick layer of mulch, go wide around that tree so there's a heavy, thick mulch layer around that tree, and then you're not going to revisit it for a year. So the next, the following year, what I would do is, depending on how much those nitrogen fixers have grown up, go ahead and implant your uh, fruit producing species that nitrogen, those nitrogen fixers are going to provide an overstory for your fruit production. So that way they protect your fruit production while you're, while they're growing, while they're in a vulnerable state and make sure you plant those in the fall as well. And you can set it up. So where each year you're adding an additional, uh, you know, layer to your food forest, or um, you could get it knocked out in basically two years if you wanted to, and then just go back and manage it every year after that well i don't think she actually owns the property yet it says uh it's going to be six years she said i know it would be easier to wait six years before buying the property but i feel like god has put it on my heart and led me to this land okay i can't argue with that but from a tactical sense um depending on how you're looking at this from a tactical sense i don't know that you got six years in this climate to do all the things you want to do. You might. I mean, that's that's why I don't go on too much about the status quo. Um, my bigger concern is that thousand miles. That's the big concern. Is it that is, even you can set things up like William's talking about. You yeah. might even be able to put fruit bearing species in there at the same time. But I would be if I'm visiting this thing once a year then that's when I'm going to be looking into the work of Mark Shepard. That's who you really want to check out. And that's basically what you would be doing because you'd be planting the tree, setting it up with the mulch and then just leaving. Right. Check out restoration, the stun method. Exactly. (laughs) You're going to be doing Mark Shepard's stun method. And if you're going to be putting in those trees, don't go for the big robust ones. Like we talked about before, try to get them little ones. And they're also saying that they have a deer problem. So let me go ahead and hit that too. She's asking, um, you know, how many trees would be covered by a 16 ounce bar, a uh, 16 ounce jar of bone sauce. And she, you know, she's thinking, okay, this land is obviously it's got deer and everything else out there. Um, trophy bucks all the way around. Yeah. And it work, it does work on rabbits as well. I would still go ahead and put little cages on the bottom. So I would put that in there. It's still risky when you're working. Uh, personally, I don't know that I would do it. I don't know that I would. I, Not from a thousand miles I'm, away, but I'd I rather be in South Dakota. Just to be curious on the, just to be curious as to how well it works. The only reason I'm saying it might work in South Dakota is because it is an arid environment. It's not like it's here or in Texas where, like a season, you can lose the trees that you just planted. Like you can lose the visual sight of them. Um, since you are an arid environment, it's going to be slowing the growth down quite a bit, but it's very important that you plant those trees in the fall or winter because I mean, you're not going to be there to water them during drought. Well, she's talking zone four B five a, so I would definitely, you're probably going to want to do that in the fall. Yeah. I wouldn't do it in the winter. Yeah. Not when the ground's frozen. Yeah. So you're going to want to do something like that. Maybe early fall when it comes to get in there. So you're going to need bare roots. You're going to have a better chance of survival on your trees as far as a bare root. But as far as that bone sauce, that's one of the difficult things that it's tough to say. Now, if they're small saplings and you do them when they're dormant, one 16-ounce jar of bone sauce, let's say they're only a foot, maybe two feet high, one 16-ounce ought to be able to do about 50 trees, if not more. I would say maybe more than that. The same, I mean, more than what we have. Right, but now keep in mind also, um, as these trees grow, because we've had to do the, a lot of research 
and it's taken a lot of work, you know, figuring out the full extent of what this bone sauce does. Um, and we make it considerably stronger than Sepp Holzer. Um, I want to give a shout out to Mr. Sepp also. Uh, the point being is that when you put that stuff on there, as that tree grows, well, you're going to have more surface area of that tree. So that being the case, you're going to probably want to reapply that stuff, especially if you're an absentee owner, pretty darn often. Or especially if those branches start reaching out and getting further away from the trunk and stuff like that. Well, you're dealing, I mean, you got bears and everything else up there. It's kind of risky, that, but as I understand it, um, you know, money was less of a concern for them um, than it would be for most. So if you can afford to take that loss, don't be shocked if you lose. I mean, a lot of people lose about 30% in a lot of their orchards when they use less reliable methods, or at least what I think are less reliable methods. So you have that. It's, it's, a, it's a risky thing to kind of do something like that. So, son, what I'd would, give it a shot. Okay, I would so, try it out. Well, that came right into what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, well, yay or nay, you got a thousand acres, not a thousand acres, but you got a thousand miles away. This property, it's beautiful. You love it, but you live in New Mexico right now. Would you would you buy this or would you not? I mean, if she feels like God is telling her to, you know, buy it, then I can't argue with that. Um, outside of that, no. Outside of that reasoning behind that, no. Uh, there is a benefit of her family being there. That's where she grew up. She knew. She knows the area. Unless somebody could look after it for me, I'd say no. I wouldn't buy it. I mean, unless, yeah. but like I said, if the Lord's leading you to this, I mean, there may be variables we don't know about. Um, I mean, just looking at this in the most dispassionate way, which is why you hire a <laughs> permaculture desi uh, designer from the outside is to have them look at these things in a very dispassionate ways. I would, I wouldn't buy it. If you're moving, if I was in your position and I was moving, if I was prepared to move a thousand miles away, it wouldn't be to, to South Dakota. Well, it wouldn't be there. I, I would move somewhere. I wouldn't know. mind South Dakota. I love South Dakota. Well, yeah, to visit. You well, ever lived there? <laughs> well, I mean, with the cold and everything, yeah. I mean, that, that zone's we a little bit... We went during tourist season. Of course, <laughs> of course you liked it. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd been there before, but uh, I was a kid also. Um, there's a lot of variables in there. I'm not sure I would mess with it. I mean, unless you could get there, like, unless you could visit way more often, and unless you could put a footprint there six years out, man, that's a... If you if you don't mind having some losses, maybe that's not the thing to work. I mean, I would just maybe. stick with trees for now. If you're gonna if you're gonna buy the property, I would just stick with trees. I, think that's the I intent. would just plant the first year. I would only plant nitrogen fixing like species stuff that's gonna be hardy, drought resistant. Um, they're just tough trees. I would get those planted first. Wait till the next year. Wait for that overstory to establish, and then plant your fruit trees. You're gonna have a higher success rate on your fruit trees. Uh, if that overstory is established first and then after your fruit trees, then start worrying about shrubs or expanding what you have. Well, Leanne basically covers what a lot of people have been asking. And we believe it or not, son, we knocked out about 20 birds with one stone with this one question. So when you're, when you're that far away and you're absentee property owner, um, and in these times, I, now I would definitely want to get out of New Mexico. Um, right for the politics that she cites also in there, but I would also want to get out. I would, if it were at all possible, I'd be on the first thing smoking in South Dakota. Maybe, I mean, that zone, I, I would want something that's a little friendlier in terms of uh, growing. Right. An arid environment isn't, I mean, it's good because you have a bunch of life in the soil, which is a good thing about air, arid environments, but it's also just rough. All right. Well, hopefully we covered that one pretty good, Leanne. Um, oh, also, I would look into your earthworks uh, as well. Determine whether or not you need to dig a swale. Uh, look at your average rainfall percentage, uh, stuff like that. That goes right back to why I was saying you need to get a, another. I would, don't do not trust unless you've done this a numerous times like we have. Um, you have too much like. I can tell by what you wrote here, and this isn't anything personal, but I can tell by what you wrote here, you you definitely have an emotional attachment to this land, and that is a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. But what you need really at this point is a person, your doctor. So, you know, it's like, uh, you know, doctors don't treat their own family or they're not supposed to, I'm told. Um, 
same thing when it comes to buying land. You really don't want to, you want outside eyes to make that call for you. All right, so we're coming near to the end of it. So we're going to get into what a lot of people, I, and frankly, I had no idea how many people would want us to talk about this. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bobby and I barely touched on it when it came to uh, the um, the live stream we did the other day on YouTube. Jason and I were talking about it in New York. They've been binge watching this this type of content. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, we kind of we were talking about the Georgia Guidestones, and then somehow I don't know. Like I said, when you speak, it's cool when you talk to somebody like Bobby, in that we speak the same language. We know each other from way back, and we lost contact for a while there. Then you know, hook back up, and then it's like we never even thanks to YouTube. Yeah, yeah, thanks to YouTube. So, you know, we link back up after all these years, and then come to find out, okay, we're still on the same track we were then. We weren't any of those fair weather. Um, prepper types you know that's how we met in this movement and then you know just later on but anyway we got to talking about um some of the more esoteric stuff we were talking about dc look here's what i'm prepared to say at this point if you look at washington dc son i can't believe how many people asked us emails and stuff to talk about this and also in the thread on youtube i didn't realize okay so when you look at dc okay I'm going to, I'm just going to lay out a couple of bullet points here. Okay. You have an obelisk and I don't care where it is. If you see an obelisk, you're probably going to see a dome in very close proximity to it. Okay. And you have what's called, especially in DC, every time a president is inaugurated, you have what's called the raising of Osiris ceremony that's going on in the Scottish Rite Freemasons temple. Not, not far down the street. Maybe a lot of the uh, Masons really don't even know about that, but it's happening at the same time. Now, um, do we know anything about this language that's going on? Some of the mystery schools supposedly put this stuff back. Point being, what do you have? You have the Capitol Dome, and then right across from it is the obelisk, the Washington Monument, the largest of its kind on the planet. Now, that monument is 600, and I'm saying all this from the top of my head. I'm not looking at any notes here, so if I get this wrong, son, correct me. So at the base of it, it is 666 inches wide at the base, 6,666 inches tall, okay? So, yeah, you ought to be kind of raising your eyebrow a little bit. Yeah, we're getting into that. So it's that tall, and then right across from it is the dome. Now, go all the way back to Egypt. Now, supposedly, um, Isis, the queen of the Nile, or whatever the case may be, she was married. Somebody went out there, smoked her husband, cut him into 14 pieces, and uh, basically cut off his phallus. Well, she found all these pieces, supposedly, put them all back together, and couldn't find his missing phallus. So, anyway... This would be a, a hilarious animated short <laughs> with you doing the voiceover. Any animators out there, hit us up. So the sun rises. And then anyway, what is supposed to sun rises. And then without getting too descriptive, basically that phallus or that uh, obelisk is excited. And then, of course, Isis becomes pregnant all over again. Which is the dome. Right. The, represents her the pre- dome. Her pregnant belly. Yeah. yeah. So just do a little research for yourself, y'all. And then... What comes out of the dome during inauguration? We're standing right in front of the dome. Right. Yeah. Right. What's coming out of there is, uh, you know. It's the president. <laughs> yeah. So, look, this is just something, a little little stuff to think about. Do a little research for yourself. You're going to find out that I'm absolutely correct. And I, believe me, I've only given you 1% of it. But this isn't that kind of podcast. It isn't a paranormal thing. I just thought it'd be kind of fun to hit. Not fun. I mean, Man, if you knew the full extent, just look at how DC's laid out. You look at all these different things. I remember when we were there, son, I'm looking at these buildings. At the time, I wasn't as learned on these topics as I am now. And I'm wondering, okay, I knew what these structures were. Why does this look like the Parthenon? Why is this? Yeah, all the architecture across the entire world has similarities in it, but they didn't have contact with each other. And at different time periods as well. But DC, we're talking about, you have, look up Thomas Jefferson's The Most Approved Plan, okay? Look that up. It's in the Library of Congress. And look at what Jefferson, who for the longest time I thought was one of the greatest presidents, but if you look at what he wanted to call the capital city, or it used to, it was to model the Capitoline Hill in Rome, which, by the way, was sitting on seven hills, just like D.C. sits on seven hills. 
all this sort of stuff is a very, if you think it's all accident, that it's just coincidence, I got news for you. That's not the case at all. All this stuff and everything you see going on, just like uh, Roosevelt said, uh, FDR, if it happens in Washington, you better believe it was planned that way. Just like this podcast is planned to go ahead. Son, is there anything you want to add to this? We got to go to the animals. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, y'all, if you want me to go into more detail, maybe we'll cover a little. I gave you kind of the I wet your beak right now. There is so much more to this. But y'all look. This is the Permaculture Podcast, or no, 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 Pimp Cast. Pimping yeah, the airways. Be, yeah, <laughs> we don't want to be confused with another one, but uh, yeah, this is the Permaculture Pimp Cast, right? Yep. Yep. All right, y'all. So hopefully this stuff has been a blessing to you. Stay alert. Stay alive. Bye.